Welcome everyone to Two Guys to the Dark Tower Came, a podcast where we discuss the characters, connections, and deeper meanings of Stephen King's magnum opus, The Dark Tower. I'm Jay Russo. And I'm Sean McCurr. You can find more information about the podcast at twoguystothedarktowercame.com. You can also email us at twoguysdarktower at gmail.com. In this episode, we'll cover book two of The Dark Tower, The Drawing of the Three, The Pusher. Let's start the show. Excellent. In The Pusher, Roland jumps into the mind of Jack Mort, a sociopath with a connection to Odetta slash Detta, living in 1977 New York City. It turns out that Jack also has a connection to another character that we haven't seen since the Gunslinger. Meanwhile, in Roland's world, Detta sets a trap that will rid her of the two honk mafas once and for all. Roland, on the other hand, has his own plots that will impact his health, Jack Mort, Odetta, Detta, and maybe his entire quest for the Dark Tower. Jay, we've got another action-packed adventure chapter here within the drawing of the three. We sure do. I was on Twitter earlier today, and one of our constant listeners was a little bit disappointed in the Lady of Shadows, feeling that it was a little bit slow and boring. But um, no doubt, once he got to this section, things picked up for him, I'm sure. Because there was a lot happening here, both not only from a plot perspective, but also from just sort of... There's a lot of meat on these bones. That's a good way of putting it. Lots of interaction between the characters, lots happening in our world, lots happening in uh, Midworld, just plenty of stuff going on. So let's get right into it. And what I enjoyed about this chapter the most was this fish out of water scenario we get. Roland, unlike his time with Eddie and Odetta, really doesn't have a whole lot of time to connect with Jack Mort. And he realizes this guy's no good. So I'm just going to take over his body and not have any qualms about using it to get done what I need. So he's at what you called an informational disadvantage because he's in a world that he doesn't really know his way around and he's got to figure it out. So we get a lot of crocodile Dundee type action in New York <laughs> city where, Hey, what's Roland's this? like, that's not nice. <laughs> but you know, it tends to be, you know, people love fish out of water stories, right? We got crocodile Dundee, we get Eddie Murphy and coming to America and we get Roland in the pusher. So uh, as he tries to interact with policemen, fronts for for mob guys in, in the gun shop, pharmacists who hate their jobs, and just regular New York City people. There's a lot going on here. Yeah, and Roland tries to make up for and does a pretty good job of making up for the, the informational disadvantage that he has by consulting the Mortsipedia, <laughs> which is just another one of those delicious little king-isms that he comes up with. And it feeds into some of the other kind of strange behaviors that Roland uh, displays later on when he's, every time he pauses to consult the Mortsipedia, the people around him notice this. It's like, hmm, what? why does he wait a second before answering every question? But we'll get into more of that later. But it, it was it was fun to just watch him just kind of say, what is that thing? Yeah. Ah, that's what that is. Ah, <laughs> uh, the taxis run yes. by hacks. Yes, I understand now. <laughs> It's also clear to me. And then, you know, one of the things that Roland has to accomplish in this section is to get more antibiotics to cure his body 
uh, back in his world because he's dying of a fever. So one of the places he needs to go is to the druggist or pharmacist. And he walks in expecting it to be your typical fantasy wizard's labyrinth with bubbling bottles and tomes on the wall. And yes. he walks into this overhead fluorescent lighted place with people just picking stuff off off the counter. And he realizes right away, like, oh, those are things that promise to make your teeth white and your hair black, but it'll do no good whatsoever. Where the real drugs are is in the back. But we learn a little bit about his world in in this discussion of what the different, like as he tries to relate to New York City. Mm-hmm. So it's not the the meatiest piece of it, but it does add to some humor into what could be a very serious section here. Because as we've talked about, Jack Mort is a sociopath. He is uh, someone who has a direct connection to what's been what we've seen so far in the gunslinger and elsewhere in the drawing of the three. Um, when Roland jumps into Jack Mort's head and note that Mort is similar to the French morte or death. So, you know, it's a very unsubtle um, reference to, to death, but Jack Mort is the one who looks to be the person who pushed Jake in front of the car that caused his death. And we find out later, he's also the one who, dropped the brick on Odetta's head to cause her injury when she was a child. And then also the one who pushed Odetta into in front of the subway train. Exactly. So lose her legs. Yeah. So there's a lot of fate or Ka here. Um, it seems to be in this third door that Roland has dropped through and entered the, the head of somebody who has all these connections elsewhere. Right. And one interesting thing that I, I thought of about Mort, who you're right, his name was a little on the nose. No JC like Jake Chambers and uh No and yeah. I guess when you put it that way, it's <laughs> King's just following a pattern here. Yeah. But Immort seems to have these delusions of grandeur. Roland's perspective inside his mind gives him and us, the reader, this direct connection to Mort's thoughts and his thought processes. And he has this vision that he is through his acts of violence and, and how he hurts people and does these terrible things that he is actually sculpting the cosmos. And to hear him think this, you're like, this guy is sick beyond measure. Mm-hmm. But when you kind of take a step back and you look at how many people, um, how many people he's affected and, and the ways he's affected them and how important they are to Roland's quest and therefore the Dark Tower, and by extension, perhaps all of reality, he sort of is sculpting the cosmos, Indeed. right? Yep. So there's like this, sort of backhanded validation to Mort's delusions of grandeur. He doesn't know it, but he really is affecting things that are not only bigger than himself, they're bigger than everything. Yes. And it's kind of spooky. Yeah, because to your point, normally we think people who are like that are sick, right? Like they're crazy and there's something wrong with them and they have a mental Mm -hmm. imbalance and you know, that section that you're talking about was, he says, what mattered was the thing which pushed change into the ordinary course of things and sculpted new lines in the flow of lives. And perhaps the destinies not only of those struck, but of a widening circle around them, like ripples from a stone tossed into a still pond. Who was to say that he had not sculpted the cosmos today or might not at some future time? And, you know, that's exactly it. It is some future time, right? It, it, It affects everything that that's that's happening to your point of course then king immediately undercuts that with the god no wonder he creamed his jeans (laughs) yeah yeah 
Yeah. It's like, just remember, guys, this guy's a real piece of shit. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> there's, there's no redeeming quality to this person. So, you know, this whole, and we know how important Kai is, you know, Eddie and Roland spoke of it earlier and, and the importance of it. And it obviously drives Roland to a big extent, but that's not the only sort of what we're calling matter of fate in this chapter. Um, you know, there's also things like at the very end when the cop tries to shoot Jack Mort and, and Roland's in his body, the bullet bounces off of a lighter that Jack Mort happens to have in his pocket. And of course, he's not even a smoker. The only reason he has that lighter is so that he can butter up to the boss, but not every yep. time to butter up to the boss, but only every so often because he doesn't want to seem like a kiss ass, just a little bit of a of a do-gooder. So there's that fate. Um, and the whole idea that Roland um, feels like I need to use the exact same train that took Odetta's legs, like there's that aspect of fate the cops that just happen to be outside of the gun shop right. that he needs to. I mean, there's all these like little pieces of what we might consider coincidence. And, but you know, King has set this up in such a way that every matter of coincidence is actually part of this larger purpose. Right. I mean, it could even seem like, well, it's forced coincidence. It's the, this is a writer just setting up a bunch of dominoes so that he can knock them down in, in this wonderful pattern at the end of the story. And to an extent, I guess that's true. But there is the underlying mythology of Ka and fate and destiny that King has been building up all along that I guess gives that a reason to exist. It 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 allows it it makes that okay. It's not just a, a narrative shortcut. It's we need to see some of these things start lining up. And it's something like when Roland first got to the beach and he was running out of food and running out of water and he was just sort of like okay with it. He's like, Ka will either take me there or it won't and I can't control Ka. So if I'm going to get food, I'll get food. If I'm going to get better, I'm going to get better. And he's just pretty chill with it all. Yep. 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 So all this fate comes together and, you know, we've, we've all read the chapter. So we see that it all comes together exactly like it's supposed to where Roland's able to get the drugs he needs to get. Jack Mort gets his comeuppance. Um, we'll get to the Odetta Odetta piece in a little bit, but you know that all comes together. So all these fates work in such a way. That's not to say that there's no agency here, because Roland does have to do a lot of work to get to that point, right? He needs yeah. he needs to con the the guy in the gun shop, um, and and he needs to get to the pharmacist and get what he needs to get there. And he needs to get back to the train station. So there is a lot of agency as far as what Roland needs to do. And I think that that comes to seeing Roland more as a hero than perhaps we have before. Um, one of the things that King was worried about, and I think he had said in between the first and second book was that he was concerned that Roland was becoming more of an anti-hero. And you and I talked a little bit about this in, yeah. pre in previous episodes where, you know, he seems to have forced Eddie to do uh, his bidding and, and kidnapped him, basically. He's basically kidnapped Odetta. He doesn't seem like a very likable dude in this section. Um, and to some extent, we can forgive him for being that way. He's sick and dying and not in the, the most pleasant of places. Mm -hmm. But I think when we see him in Jack Mort's body, 
we see him more as a hero. I mean, he seems very concerned about protecting innocent lives, even if he doesn't respect a lot of these New York City soft folks who don't have any idea of what a harsh day is. Yeah, he he does go out of his way to to sort of be fair and true and honorable in ways that don't really line up with the man who killed every man, woman, and child in Tull, right? You know, like he disables attackers without killing them. And, you know, in some part because it it's more showy, you know, rather than shooting an attacker with a knife, he shoots the knife and things like that. Like, oh, that's a harder shot, but it doesn't hurt the person right. with the knife. And so he disables people instead of killing them. He pays his debts. He takes that guy in the gun shop through hell and back just to get 150 rounds of ammunition. And at the end of it all, he pays him. Yeah. And the same thing with the pharmacist. You know, like he wrecks that guy's pharmacy. He wrecks that guy's life. And then he, at the end of it, he says, here's a gold watch for my antibiotics. <laughs> yep. You know, because that's the honorable thing to do. You pay for the, the, the goods and services for which you have uh, requested. And so, yeah, it... It is starting to paint Roland in a more heroic light, and he's not just, maybe at least in this section, he's not just out for himself. Yeah. Now, to be fair, we have seen him sacrifice a kid to get to his tower, and yeah, he's not all good at heart, and we know that, you know, he's already said that there's a good chance that his fellow travelers may die on the way to the tower, but he doesn't seem quite as willing to just shoot his way through everything to get what he needs. Um, and it would seem yes. to be very easy for him to do that um, because he does have a young, healthy body in Jack Mort. You know, he's he's sort of astounded by like, wow, the feel of having my my whole hand of with, with all my fingers and just having the gun in mm -hmm. it just makes me feel good. And, um, you know, like you said, he's able to shoot a gun out of, or a knife out of one guy's hand. He's able to shoot, two guns out of other people's hands. He's able to crack some cops' heads together. Um, even when he's yep. shot and on fire, he's able to run down into the subway. Like, <laughs> you really see sort of this healthy, young body and rolling skill and sort of makes you miss what he could have been like in his world now that he's been amputated by a lobstrosity. Yeah. I mean, and there is still that underlying current, as you just mentioned, of maybe darkness or betrayal or potential for betrayal because Roland tries to spare the other police officers, like the NYPD guys that he encounters, regardless of which ones they are. Some of them are a little softer than others, uh, as he seems to read them, but he recognizes them as fellow gunslingers, mm. that these are, these are people tasked with protecting the innocent, and they are doing their jobs in that, but that sets them as adversaries to him and his goals. So he needs to kind of meet them in the middle yeah. and not just gun them down, as we sort of maybe expected him to do based on his previous behavior. But then in the middle of doing all of these noble things, he remembers back to earlier in his life when he and Cuthbert actually gunned down Elaine. Yep. So we get that, once again, the tiny little injection of overarching mythology and, and trivia of Roland's backstory in his early life. And we find out that one of Roland's closest companions and one of his fellow gunslinger graduates. A sworn brother. A sworn brother, right, is somebody that he killed himself. We don't know why. We don't know the exact circumstances, but he fell to Roland's own gun. 
So we're like, okay, well, if he's willing to kill that gunslinger, why the heck wouldn't he just kill an NYPD officer? It'd certainly be a lot easier. And he has no consequences, right? He knows he's jumping through the door at yeah. any time. One way or another, if he doesn't succeed, he's going to die. So why not go guns blazing, right? Like, Yeah, take the easier way out. Yeah, but he doesn't. And I guess that there's that underlying honor and that code that he lives by. Very good. And again, this, you know, we've talked about it before, how Roland is not just a gunslinger brute force, even though he pictures himself that way. And he's internalized the fact that he thinks sometimes he's just a tool with guns. I mean, he's much more than that, right? Like he makes a point of saying Jack Mort is a planner and has everything down to the you know, he knows exactly what times he has, how he can get out of a place, how yep. he can make sure there's no uh, fingerprints anywhere. He's properly clothed. He's disguised. He's got everything all set up and it's planned down to the instant. And Roland is not that. He he improvises and he's able to do that. Yes. And we see that on any number of occasions within this chapter. Um, so he's more than just a a tool with a gun. He's a thinker and he's an improviser, an improviser to get what he needs, which comes in handy because when he jumps into Jack Mort's mind and then jumps out, I'm not sure exactly, but it feels like it's only a few hours. Like I think of the three doors which he goes in and out of, I think it's his shortest stay. Although it does seem like he goes into Detta's mind and then wheels her through the door almost immediately. Yeah. So that might be much more brief. It is. It, it is very brief that he's in Detta's world. It just seemed longer because... We get a lot of flashbacks in that section. Yeah. Uh, we do in this section as well, but there's so much going on that we see it. So, yeah, he, he does move uh, pretty quick here. So we don't get much time with Jack Mort, right? Roland jumps in his mind. He sort of does this Matrix download and learns about all of his connections between Jake and Detta and Odetta, and he learns a lot about him. And one of the things that's interesting that he finds out about Jack Mort is that Jack Mort is a doobie. And not a don't, yeah. and not a don't be right. And I don't know. People our age and older will get the reference to romper room, but I'm not sure if many younger folks uh, will. But there was a a doobie song that uh, the teacher at romper room would say to all of her friends and all the important things that that you should do to be a doobie. And Jack really took that to heart. What's right. I never do anything wrong. Do be a sidewalk player. Do be a sidewalk player. Don't be a street player. Don't be a street player. Do be a car sitter. Do be a car sitter. Don't be a car stander. Don't be a car stander. That's right. I think uh, Jack was uh, Jack Mort was definitely a fan of Romper Room. No, no question about it. So it's scary because he is planned enough that he's gotten away with this with Detta and Odetta. As far as we know, he gets away with it from Jake because he does kill Jake, at least from what we saw in the gunslinger, Jake is dead. So somebody succeeded mm -hmm. in pushing um, him into there. I don't know if he's done it with anybody else, but he does seem like a very um, methodical and fairly cunning pusher in many different ways, whether it's pushing bricks off the top of a building or pushing kids into the street or women in pushing the people in front of subways. Yeah. yeah. So we'll see what, if any impact that has on that. One of the things that we've talked about with both other doors is what sort of the intent and why Eddie, why Odetta 
and why Jack? And, you know, our thought has been, the book's called The Drawing of the Three, that, you know, we're going to get three people that get drawn into Roland's world. I mean, that's sort of the expectation that I think we have that Roland has. And he jumps into Jack's head and that doesn't seem to be the case, right? Like he realizes this isn't going to be somebody that I want as part of my, my traveling companions. Um, yeah. So it, almost a little bit of a twist by King here. Yeah. Two things occurred to me uh, just thinking about this one. There's almost a, a kind of diminishing returns. Like the first person Roland draws is Eddie. And we as the readers are left wondering in a way that Roland never does, why this person, why this heroin addicted junkie, you know, why should that be the person that Roland adds to his quest? And we came up with all sorts of things. Well, maybe a junkie's a good way to get to antibiotics and other things like that and help him. And but then we started to recognize qualities that Eddie himself has. And we're coming around to him. Certainly Roland has come around to him. And then when we meet Odetta, we meet somebody who has this dual personality thing going on that makes her an extreme liability. Like she can never fully be trusted and mm -hmm. she's always going to be a danger. So then Roland finally starts to say, what the heck's going on here? Why is this person who... The, the person that I've drawn to to my to me in my quest, but we even made some excuses there, like, well, there was going to be a time that Roland could really use a wheelchair, so I guess that's why this is the person, right? But meanwhile, we kept coming back to it could have been so many other things. Why didn't Roland go to a, a doctor or a pharmacist? And lo and behold, here we are. The, one of the first things Roland does is when he's in Jack Mort's mind is he goes to a pharmacy. He's finally got it. You know, yes. it's not like he's not hoping to chance upon Keflex. He's going to go where Keflex is stored and sold. So finally, there's like we're we're making some connections to how to achieve what he wants. And the only other mission he seems to have is to get ammunition because he's kind of all out of bullets. Yep. But it's the improvisation part of Roland that comes into play here. And that's when he realizes who Jack Mort is, what he's done, the things he plans to do, and how Eddie and Odetta were challenges. Jack Mort is impossible. Mm -hmm. There is no way to redeem him. There is no way to make him part of his, his crew. So that's when Roland makes the, the decision, I'm going to take advantage of the magic of the door and I'm going to try to like bring the pieces of Detta and Odetta into one person. Right. And he's able to do this because the way the magic of the door works is that when he's jumping into somebody's mind, he starts to get a sense of the person they are, right? So he jumps yeah. into Eddie and he learns a little bit about him. But he learns the most from Eddie between their conversations actually in each other's heads, right? Like Mm -hmm. they, they talk back and forth. When he jumps into Odetta's mind, he immediately senses there's something odd about this mind. There's two, yeah. two halves. There's something that's not connected here. It's a good thing she wasn't the first door. Otherwise, yeah. Roland would have had no frame of reference. Right, exactly. And then when he jumps into Jack's, what's interesting is, is that Jack doesn't even notice you know, when, when he jumps into Eddie's, Eddie notices something's there, but doesn't quite understand it. At first he thinks there's, he's just hearing voices and 
being an adult junkie sort of probably adds to that. Odetta yeah. and Detta have some sort of knowledge of something's not right, but they've been dealing with this split in their minds already. So it it's confusing to them, but not totally confusing. Jack is so focused on being a sociopath and killing people. <laughs> he, he's not even aware of the fact that that Roland's there at first and Roland and vice versa. And so it makes it very easy to, for Roland to take control of his body and vice versa. When it, when, when he gives it back to Jack, Roland actually faints in his mind. And, and at one point Jack faints when Roland's in his mind. Yes. And, and there's all the screaming that goes on at one point. I think when they're driving away, Jack's just starts screaming in his head and Roland's like, shut up. <laughs> you know, I can't <laughs> deal with this. But he realizes and the, the point I'm trying to get to is that in each of these he realizes how these minds work, and he that's when he sees that Jack has this connection with Odetta and Detta, and I could potentially use that to bring those two halves together, as as what you said. So King has really set us up to be for a fake out here, right? It's a little bit of a twist when we think there's going to be three people coming through those doors, and in fact, there's not going to be three people coming through those doors. Yeah, I mean, King King's <laughs> tricking us, and he's doing it through his is proxy of the the man in black who is the ultimate trickster right yes. like and it's... everything he says is uh has that underlying tittering laugh <laughs> and and you know mischief and so we, we start to learn what it means when it says ah it's death but not for you gunslinger right so right the, the death is actually going to be jack's death but at the same time it's going to give a new life to odetta and detta as they come together right and the reason that all of this, in fact, takes place is because when Roland looks back, Odetta has set her own scheme. So we haven't talked at all about what's happening back on the beach. But, you know, Eddie's been running up and down the beach so much that he's tired. He had been looking for Odetta, couldn't find her, and he eventually falls asleep in front of the door. So he's fallen asleep in front of the door. Roland's body is limp on the beach in front of the door. Mm -hmm. And Detta comes crawling down with a gun and plans to, I'm going to get rid of both of these guys in my life. And the way I'm going to do that is by trussing up Eddie and putting him at the edge of the beach where the lobstrosities are going to get him come nightfall, hide behind the door. And as soon as I see any movement within Roland's body, I'll shoot it and I'll have gotten my revenge on both of them. Right. The honeypot. The honeypot. Exactly. And Roland sees that. And that's why he has to come up with his scheme. It's not going to be enough to just get the guns and get the drugs. He's also got to figure out a way of how do I get back into my body and take care of Detta and save Eddie without getting shot immediately. So that's why he needs to come up with this, his own elaborate scheme that he's imp improvised as we talked about earlier. Yeah. I finished this section of the book wondering why doesn't Roland draw Mort into his world even once or even temporarily. And I think maybe you sort of answered that just now because like the way that when he brings Eddie in, now they're two separate people. So he would lose that complete control over Jack mm -hmm. Mort as soon as they pass through the doorway, which would mean that, and Roland knows that he's jumping into Detta's honeypot, yeah. right? So he's going to cross through the door, awaken in his very sick almost useless body there's going to be jack mort standing over him 
who is going to be very much ready to hurt Roland and anybody else. And then you got Detta ready to spring a trap. So, like, that's just not going to work. No. That will make everything worse. So his only hope is to just never bring Mort through the door. And he has no reason to to want to because the the fact that Roland is willing to, you know, put out one of his eyes to, to motivate him to drive the, <laughs> the stolen police car, you know, it's like, I don't care. It's not my eye, buddy. Yeah, right. <laughs> I'll poke it out. <laughs> I ain't got time for this. Yeah. I only need one to drive this car, so. <laughs> So maybe we should talk a little bit about what actually happens here, right? With Odetta and Detta. Yeah. So the the actual plan that Roland has come up with, and it, you and I talk through exactly how this happened, and it's a, it's a little bit of a a logic jump. I don't know if I necessarily would have figured this all out, but Roland, I think, due to being in in everybody's mind, has sort of figured out what he has to do, and if he can call out to Detta right before he looks back at the door. So remember when people looking through the door from the beach, see what's in the eyes of the character. Right. It's their point of view. Exactly. So what he does is when he sort of calls out to Detta to look through the door, Jack is looking back through the door. So really Detta is seeing herself because she's seeing Jack seeing herself. At that point, she's also seeing potentially the subway where she was almost created, or at least gain more substance when Odetta lost her legs. Um, All this comes flooding back as Jack dies, Roland comes through the door. Detta and Odetta are split, physically split into two separate people on the beach, as near as we can tell. Like, I don't think that this is a metaphor. I think Roland actually there's two. two people on the beach, right? And they actually have what was forecasted in the previous chapter when Roland says these two are going to have to fight, and I hope that Odetta reigns supreme because if Detta does, we're in deep caca, as it were. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not really Odetta who wins; they become a third person, right? So they they merge, right? So they and and the the fight is the Detta persona, the Odetta persona are, are fighting, and Odetta realizes that fighting is not the solution. Jay, fighting is never the solution. What really is the solution is love. And Odetta gives Detta a big hug. And that's what that's what really brings them together into this third person. Yep. And Detta's reaction to this embrace is revulsion. She realizes that this is this is her kryptonite, so to speak. It's you know, this this is her undoing. Um but it's also the undoing of Odetta as a unique separate persona as well. Right. They merge and absorb and take on the traits of each other to make this third persona that has a little bit of both in handily all the right ways. There's the the kindness, thoughtfulness, intelligence of Odetta and the you know the strength and determination and stubbornness and deadliness of Odetta. In this new person. So it's kind of everything that Roland could have hoped for. Yep. And we aren't sure what's going to happen, right? I mean, we're, you know, we've been seeing most of this chapter through Roland's perspective. And so when Roland does jump back, he sees the fighting going on, but he can't spend too much time focused on that because he needs to crawl to try to save Eddie, who is 
got these slip knots around his neck. The lobstrosities are coming and starting to snap at him. And Roland's doing his best to untie him, but you know, he's weak in his body. And then we get this woman coming down the beach with Roland's guns. Come on, Mafaz, you just come on. You just come for him. I'm going to blow your eyes right back through your fucking assholes. That was my favorite part of the whole section. Like, I actually put down the book and stood up and cheered when that happened. I'm like, yeah. And I don't think Roland knew exactly what was going on. And he had to be like, wait a minute, what's going on? And then in that same moment, Roland, you know, Eddie's choking to death. Roland's hands are pushed away by stronger ones. I'll take care of it. There was a knife in her hand, his knife. And then, who are you? He asks. I am three women. I who was, I who had no right to be but was, I am the woman you have saved. I thank you, Gunslinger. So we do have this third woman who comes to uh, life here on the beach. Yeah, that, that line, I thank you, Gunslinger, that gives me goosebumps every time. Mm. Yeah, because we've seen both Detta and Odetta did not like or trust the Gunslinger for different reasons. They both saw that he wasn't necessarily one to be trusted even mm-hmm. Odetta. And so it, it does bring a little bit of a, uh, hey, they're starting, something's happening here. Yep. Okay, so lots of action stuff here. Any more about this whole, the way the third door works? I mean, the taken by surprise by the twist here that there's not a third person coming through the door. I know I was tweeting with one of our uh, listeners who had posted a is it like a UK edition? Uh, uh, or yeah, something? a British edition of the book, and it had four characters on the cover of the book. And I was trying to like, hey, why? What? Who are those characters exactly? Because it looked like there was <laughs> Roland, and you could see Detta and Eddie, but the third one was very vague. The, the way they had it in the in the background, you couldn't tell if it was supposed to be potentially Jake or if it was supposed to be a third man or what. It was just very confusing and. Some sort of red yeah. red herring, I think. They probably couldn't put the drawing of the three in there. Yeah, maybe that was uh, Jack Mort. Yeah, or maybe. maybe. Or maybe it was Henry Dean. <laughs> Could have been. Yeah. So um, so the twist got you? I know you've read it a few times now, but like, I don't know if you remember originally if you were like, hey, wait a minute. This isn't what I was expecting. I don't really remember whether I was surprised the first time through, but. My expectation of the structure based on the way that it was predicted and set out made it feel like this was somehow a, not a violation of that structure, but definitely not not what was promised. And I, I think that that's, that's fine. Keeping us guessing as readers is a good thing. And, and I think it works out well. And even the whole is Detta that she's a third person is does that mean that she was you know what so like two and then now a third now was is she the three like all mm. three of them and eddie doesn't even count as one of the, <laughs> the three being drawn you know uh, right. or or is it that once that they're all done with the doors there are three people on the beach and they're done and is that it but that, does, that doesn't make sense that roland has drawn himself he was already there he's the one doing the drawing so it's it's still a little shady or shaky. Uh. And we'll probably talk a little bit about this next week because there is one more section, the final shuffle, that sheds a little bit of light on this. But, you know, we do yeah. have, you know, potentially it's our understanding of what drawing means, right? Like maybe 
you know, I think we've been assuming that drawing is the process of bringing someone into the world and maybe, maybe, or maybe that isn't the case. So we'll talk a little bit about more, more of that, but um, it is a satisfying ending, even if it is the whole love will bring us together, Captain and Tennille uh, (laughs) type of thing. So there's other stuff that happens in this section of the book that is really sort of fun stuff. Um, a couple episodes ago, we had our huh moments. Um, yes. I, uh-huh. I think, I think uh, this week we'll talk about fun stuff. So why don't you uh, mention a fun thing that you found in this chapter, Jay? Well, one of the things was uh, just Roland and his fish out of water moments, I think in general, were led to most of the, the fun stuff. Like, for example, when, when he's talking to the gun seller, uh, what's his name? Fat Tony or something like that. Yeah. He, he says, uh, let me get you the, the shooter's Bible so you could find the right ammunition. And Roland says, shooter's Bible. That is a noble name for a book. <laughs> I, that's, that was a lot of fun. And he loves the book, right? Cause it's this huge book and paper as we know is not right. And it's full know, of fodder graphs, fodder graphs of all the different ammunition. And <laughs> the guy's like, what, this guy doesn't know anything about guns. How is he going to do it? And like, he immediately picks that the 45, that is the one I need. <laughs> that same section is when he finds out like how many bullets can I get? And it's, you know, 50 in a box. He's like, oh. he's amazed by 150 <laughs> bullets. He's just like, wow. And he says, Ye gods, which yeah. one of my grandfather's favorite uh, sayings was ye gods. So that brought a <laughs> smile to my face. Yeah, that, that whole brief moment of Roland must have been such an emotional roller coaster for him. Because first it's like, you won't have it. <gasps> you have it. <laughs> oh, you won't have enough. You do have enough. <laughs> oh, but it's going to cost too much. No, it's not going to cost too much. Yeah. <laughs> Just, just uh, back and forth, like he's probably all stressed out by the time he's done with that. Yeah. So we we talked also uh, a couple episodes ago about how um, King references the Shining movie, right, in the book, and so you know, obviously, the Shining is part of the the world that they live in. We also get a reference to the Terminator movie and how you know one of the cops who encounters Roland, you know, years later, he he's at the movie theater seeing the Terminator and seeing the Terminator and the way he sort of processes everything in his head. And I was trying to think of the Terminator quote there and I can't have one come right to the beginning of my head. Your clothes, <laughs> asshole. <laughs> that's probably the closest I can get. Um, you know, he's like, Oh my God, that's what I saw in the, in, in, in Roland was this whole sort of machine processing in his head, what needs to happen in this sort of blank stare and this ability to just wreak havoc like a, like a machine. And, the cop, yeah. the cop immediately has a heart attack and dies because he's overwhelmed by it. Yeah, apparently it was, the Terminator was so much like Roland or Jack Mort being controlled by Roland that the cop couldn't handle it and his heart gave out. Yes. But it made me for a moment rethink my personal image of Roland. Mm. And maybe it's just because I sort of forgot about the the underlying part of this, which is there these two police officers experience with Jack Mort as or Roland as Jack Mort was that he had to keep consulting the Mortsipedia and that it was that that pause click answer pause click answer thing that I think that's what King was getting at with the Terminator because there were so many scenes especially in the first one where Arnold Schwarzenegger has that heads up display and he used to 
he has to choose the right response right. and then you know it's like no 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 fuck you asshole you know <laughs> like that kind of thing but i was thinking like otherwise that i still very much envision roland as being this thin tall cowboy who moves gracefully and is lithe and uh athletic in a way that arnold schwarzenegger especially as the terminator right. is not no. and so i don't think of roland as moving robotically or behaving robotically in those ways but in that mortsipedia data access mode yeah, yeah. that's that's where it, it it comes in so nice night for a walk <laughs> nice night for a walk <laughs> With our favorite uh, Bill Paxton, who just passed away recently. Aww, he's he's rest one of, in peace. He's one of the punks in those first L.A. scenes in the yeah, Terminator. Yeah, I think that may have been his first role. It was it was close to it. I think uh, he knew James Cameron from somewhere else, which is why he's in a lot of James Cameron flicks, including including Titanic and Aliens, of course. Game over, well, man. Yeah. Game over. Of course, Alien. Well, not to mention True Lies. Ah, uh, yes, yes. Uh, so good time. So Roland is Terminator. And so that recollection causes one of those first cops to have a heart attack. Um, one of the other fun stuff is that the other cop, whose name is Omira, he talks about how his recollection of his incident with Jack Mort slash Roland reminded him years later of an experience with a robot tic-tac-toe machine in which he could see the machine at the museum sort of think through all the different possibilities of the move before it placed its x or o and so he right. thought he he says to himself when he takes his son years later you'll see why i'm emphasizing <laughs> years later in the book he he says years later he realizes hey this machine is very much like that person i encountered where i lost my gun what's odd though is in the next couple of pages what happened years later is immediately referenced as he's having his discussion right. with uh, Roland. He says, oh, the, the idea of the robot just sort of passed out of his mind. This guy was cool. He wasn't, he wasn't like that tic-tac-toe machine at all. And so what, <laughs> I, I know we're not supposed to go heavy on the King errors anymore, but what do you think there, Jay? I think it might have been just an editing snafu. It was... A really great example and reference point for King as he's giving this cop, Omira, this idea of, uh, this way of understanding or explaining to himself Jack Mort's behavior. And it went from a future flashback to present tense, like in kind of like two sentences later, and it just didn't make any sense anymore. But eh, still. It's still fun stuff. Yeah, it's still fun stuff. It's an editing snafu. Editing snafu or potential paradox? Discuss amongst Ooh. yourselves. Discuss amongst yourselves. Maybe that's... I was just going to say, you were having a lot of trouble getting the words out because this <laughs> is so crisscrossed on itself. <laughs> oh, All right. Maybe it's the world moving on. The world has definitely moved on. One thing that hasn't moved on, Jay, as he segues seamlessly into the next discussion point is randall flag we get an actual appearance or mention of randall flag who seems to have come up in other stephen king books both prior to this one and after this one yes yeah flag does come up quite a few times in king's books it's uh and 
I've had my theories. I'm sure other readers and uh, listeners have had their theories of who Flag is or where Flag has been, and in the Gunslinger or in the in the Dark Tower series, is Flag the same Flag? Is he anyway? To not to get into too much of the theories, but here explicitly in this section, King states that Roland came across Flag in his past, and he also thinks back to. Flag and Martin and the man in black and how they were all separate people who we encountered in separate places at separate times. So from Roland's perspective, these are all separate people. If they are truly people, that's a whole separate issue. But sure. Well, he does call Flag a demon. He says yes. one of these men had been a creature the gunslinger believed to be a demon himself, a creature that pretended to be a man and called itself Flag. Yeah. Fun stuff. Fun stuff. It's always <laughs> always good to see Flag or RF or somebody's initials like that or Andre Linoge, whatever. <laughs> I also liked, again, subtle, but uh, at one point Stephen King uh, mentions is in a metaphor, the Lotus Eaters, which is a reference back to Odysseus, but often is sort of the idea that, you know, people can be drugged or warped in some way that they don't think about what really matters and have lost any care in the world and they're they're soft and unmotivated yeah and we get a little bit of that when he goes into um the drugstore and he sees all those things to make your teeth white and your hair black things to make your breath smell better as if you could not do that by chewing alder bark there was no magic here only trivialities roland was appalled by the place in a place that promised alchemy but dealt more in perfume than potion was it any wonder that wonder had run out? Which again, I thought that was a pretty good line by uh, by King there. Yeah, and you know we've seen that reference before with um, in the Gunslinger, where we get that piece from the Man in Black talking about all the wonders that the world had before it had moved on, and how people just took it for granted. So an ongoing theme in these books, it seems to be. Yep, there was a, another line that I really liked in that uh, Roland's kind of thinking about the tower and fate and he reflects in matters of the tower fate became a thing as merciful as the lighter which had saved his life and as painful as the fire this miracle had ignited like the wheels of the oncoming train it followed a course both logical and crushingly brutal a course against which steel and sweetness could stand yeah that's good lots of train references yeah I do have one last piece, Jay. What you got? We got a Balazar reference, sort of the continuation of the fate. We should have mentioned that earlier, but yeah, when the gun shop that the cops are sort of staking out because they know it's a front for criminals, they realize that, hey, if we can make a bust here, we might be able to turn a couple of guys and make our way all the way up to Balazar, the big head guy. Right. Maybe make their careers. Little did they know. Little did they know that some Terminator type guy was going to bash their heads in and steal their guns and <laughs> shoot the guns out of their hands later on. Uh, poor soft cops. Yeah. All right. Well, that's all for this episode of Two Guys to the Dark Tower Came. Thanks, Jay. Thank you. All right. Links to all of our contact information is available in the show notes. You can email us at twoguysdarktower at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash twoguysdarktower. And our Twitter handle is at twoguysdarktower. 
If you like the show, please rate us on iTunes. Next episode, we will finish Book 2 of The Dark Tower, The Drawing of the Three. We'll discuss the final shuffle section and the book as a whole. For Jay Russo, I'm Sean McCurr. Thanks for listening. Thank you.